0: Joshua chapter 7 this evening. What are you hiding? No, seriously, what are you hiding? God knows that you're faking and that you're taking from things that are cursed, that are broken to Him. What if God got into that closet? That closet of the computer, the closet of your mind, the recesses of your heart. What if your sin wasn't just affecting you, but it was destroying the ones you love? That your wife's life isn't what it could be or it should be, that your kids, their very future is in jeopardy, that our church is crippled, that God is holding back his blessing, and we're not able to stand in this community the way the Lord intended, because of what you're hiding. God sees and God knows. He wants more than a service. He wants more than an hour and 15 minutes. He died for our lives. He wants us complete. In this service, his presence is here. And where the fear of God is, there's the beginning of wisdom. One man's sin in Joshua chapter 7 leads to the complete defeat of the whole nation of Israel. One man's sin. So let's pray and prepare our hearts. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for these sections of Scripture that are intense. There's no other way to describe it. And Father, we pray that there would be nothing hidden in our lives, nothing Buried underneath the tent, buried underneath the home, buried underneath the heart. Because we know that you're a God of transparency, you're the God of light, you're the God of love. And as we come to you in brokenness and repentance, that's when transformation begins in our lives. So Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Failure. Compromise, defeat, these are not words that were in Israelites' vocabulary. Up until this point, it's been victory. It's been the Jordan River being stopped up, the walls of Jericho falling down. And as we'll read tonight, everything changes in a moment. Now what enters into their language is how do we deal with defeat? How do we deal with 36 of our men dead? How do we deal with the fact that we've turned our backs on the enemy and ran in fear? And in our lives and in this chapter, I think it provides a wealth of information. First, of what leads up to compromise. How do we get to the place where we're in rebellion to God? But also, it shows us what to do when we are in that place of trespass. When we are in that place of compromise, God still loves us and he has a future for us. If we'll choose to walk in brokenness and repentance, then he'll bring restoration. So let's begin our journey in verse 1 of chapter 7. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zariah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing. So the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel." This chapter begins with the word, but, because this wasn't God's plan. God had promised to give the nation of Israel victory every place where Joshua put his foot. But now because of this one man, Achan, he took of the accursed things, we'll find that they will enter into a loss and they will enter into a defeat. Well, what was it, these accursed things that he took from you might remember in chapter six, verse eighteen, God said this: "And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed thing, lest you become accursed when you take the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it." First things must come first. And when God led them into Jericho, He said, "I want the first fruits of this battle." All the other spoil from all of the other cities, oh, it's yours. You can have it. But from Jericho, I want it. The gold, the silver, it belongs to me. And these things are accursed things. They were offered in idol worship. And so God didn't want them to go to the children of Israel. We have a hard time understanding first fruits because we're not farmers. Most of us aren't. We go to the grocery store, King Supers, Walmart, and that's our experience of first fruits. But first fruits was the first crops. They were to belong to the Lord. You would give to the Lord and acknowledging the fact that He's the provider. And by the children of Israel giving the first fruits from the spoil of this first battle, it's putting God in His proper place and it's honoring the Lord. And tithes and offerings, God does encourage us and command us to give financially to His work. And God's not trying to raise funds. I hope you know that. God's not broke, right? He's not up there going, I need, need your money. He's trying to raise a family. And if you've got kids, you understand this, right? And you encourage them to give, it does something to their hearts and their soul. So when we choose to give the first fruits to the Lord where the first check that we write is to the work of the Lord, then we're honoring God and we're putting God in the proper place. So this is part of the sin of Achan is he's taking something that belongs to the Lord. And when we choose to take everything that the Lord has provided and just use it for ourselves, then we're taking something that belongs to God. Now imagine that you've got a hundred M&Ms, the kind with the nuts inside. Those are the best kind, Right? And you've got your hundred and they were given to you by God and then God says hey I want 10 of those back you're like hey hey don't mess with my peanuts with chocolate on them right it's nothing for the Lord to say I want 10 of those back right that's no no big deal at all it's reminding us it all belongs to the Lord and he's allowing you to use that other 90 percent according to his word also in our lives, the accursed things, it comes to sin. And notice in this verse, it says, a trespass. And this is actually something that is more severe than sin. The word sin means to miss the mark. If you're shooting at a target and you miss by just a little bit, well, that's your margin of error. And we sin that way all the time. We're headed in the right direction. We're we're trying to do the right thing, but we still fall short. A trespass is, here's the line, Woo! Leave him near, near. <laughs> you know, like, it is willful rebellion. And that's what Achan did. He knew better. And in this moment, he chose to rebel against the things of God. Before we go on to the next verse, let's plant this thought in our hearts and minds. Obedience to God is our highest priority. It's our highest priority. Sometimes we kind of get casual and we get comfortable with God and we start to think of obedience as optional. It's really not that big of a deal. It's just a little thing, you know? It's just a little bit of an accursed thing. Uh, who, who really cares? Nobody sees, nobody's watching. But as this story unfolds, we're going to find that obedience is our highest priority. Maybe you're wrestling with an area of obedience tonight. There's something that God's been putting on your heart. You need to stay away from this. You need to do this. And we begin to rationalize ourselves out of God's commands. May we be reminded, obedience is our highest priority. In verse 2, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. Now church, Rocky Mountain Calvary, what's missing in verse two? He didn't pray. Thank you, Steve. He didn't see God. Up until this point, God's been directing. God's been giving exactly what should take place. God said, when you get into the land, you need to circumcise the men. That wouldn't have been Joshua's plan. Here's the plan for Jericho. You need to march around the wall one time each day, the seventh day, the day that was supposed to be the day of rest. You're going to march around seven times and shout. That wouldn't have been the plan of Joshua. We're going to see that Ai is a small city. It literally means heap. How would you like that to be the name of your town? I live in Heapville, Junkville, right? Just this little town. I'm sure you can think of a lot of other things you may call a small town, but we'll save it because it's probably not pulpit appropriate, right? So Joshua just says, hey, go for it. When God appointed Joshua to be the leader in Numbers chapter 27, he was instructed that through the high priest and the urim and the thurim, which was the breastplate of the high priest, to seek God's will and God's direction. This is very natural for us. The big battles in our lives, the Jerichos, where we don't think that there's any way where we can accomplish a victory, we're waiting on God. We're not moving forward without his direction. But the small things, I got this under control. I've experienced victory in this area. I can maybe even instruct others on how to take on the Jerichos in their lives. And it's a small misstep that has huge repercussions. Bring everything to the Lord, big or small. We can do nothing apart from the Lord. In verse 3, and they returned to Joshua, and they said to him, do not let all of the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack AI. Do not weary all the people there, for the people of AI, ah, they're few. They're wimpy. We got this one. Just send two or 3,000 warriors. So another thought to meditate upon tonight is danger when you think you've got it under control. Danger, danger, danger. Whether it's your experience, whether it's your personality, whether it's statistics and mathematics, and you go, man, we did the odds. 3,000 should be able to win the battle here. Mathematics, statistics, logic, it's nothing if God's not leading and guiding and directing. And God has a way of humbling our best effort. Pride. This is pride. Makes them think that they've got it. I think that the challenge, sometimes spiritually, is more when things are going good. The times we really need to be careful is after the walls of Jericho fall, when God is blessing. Because our natural tendency, without even realizing, is we'll go into autopilot mode. And we won't seek the Lord And those things that we think we've got enough resources to be able to handle, then we'll march in without seeking God. There's two problems here. There's the grieving of the Holy Spirit, and there's the quenching of the Holy Spirit. The grieving of the Holy Spirit was with the trespass. The quenching of the Holy Spirit is they're not seeking God's guidance. In James chapter 1, it says that God promises to give wisdom to those who ask in faith. So we've got to ask in faith. What AI do we think that we've got under control that we need to stop and ask for the Lord's help? In verse 4, So about 3,000 men went up from there, from the people, but they fled before the men of AI. So they go and attack AI, but now they're running in defeat. And the men of AI struck down about 36 men, for they chased them before the gate as far as Shebarim and struck them down on the descent Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Everything's going great. We've got it under control. And before you know it, 36 men are dead. From this battle, there was kids that had their father not come home. This is the seriousness of Achan's sin. This is the seriousness of, of Joshua not seeking the Lord. Joshua's response from this, as well as the rest of the people, is their hearts melted and became like water. And when we're defeated, man, fear comes in like a flood, doesn't it? Remember, this is how Jericho felt. This is how the Canaanites felt and the Amorites felt. But now the people of God are completely wiped out because they knew that this isn't just you win some and you lose some. God had promised 100% victory, and now they have a defeat, and they're feeling like God had forsaken them. Joshua's response, a lot to learn from. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell on the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He, put, he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. They go into full-blown mourning. And there's some good things that Joshua does and some not so good things that Joshua does. And this is one of those good things, is he humbled himself. He didn't go, well, this is war. We lost 36 guys. Let's try again tomorrow. He's willing to admit that something's wrong. And he's experienced. He's been leading for a while under Moses. He's got a victory under his belt. And you know if you have a little bit of an experience in an area, it can be that much harder in our pride to admit that something's wrong. And Joshua's saying, I can't just continue business as usual. He tears his clothes, which is an expression of absolute mourning. I think one of the things that's lacking in our culture is we don't really know how to grieve. We don't have good, appropriate expressions of grief. Hebrews, the nation of Israel, were good at grieving. And this was something that was universal inside of their culture. If you tear your clothes, everybody knows around you, you're not having a good day, right? So he just tears his clothes and he falls on his face before the ark of the Lord. And they just start putting dirt and dust over their heads and all of the elders. So now you're just, you know, rank and file Israelite. And you're like, man, what has just happened here? 36 guys are dead. Joshua's on his face before the Ark of the Covenant. And Joshua begins to pour out his heart before God. verse 7. And Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all? To deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us. Fear, unchecked, quickly moves to doubt. Joshua's afraid. His heart has melted. Now he's doubting. He's doub- what, Listen to what he says. He says, God, why have you even brought us over the Jordan just so that you would destroy us? He's doubting all the promises that God had given and he doesn't even know the issue yet. And I get encouraged actually out of Joshua's discouragement because when I fail and I experience defeat, Maybe it's just my personality, but it's like all bets off, you know? Why did we ever go in this direction in the first place? I'm taking my ball and I'm going home, you know? I'm out of here. And and that's where Joshua's at. He's frustrated. And he's like, God, I can't. I thought you were in this. And all of a sudden, you just brought us over here so that we would completely be destroyed by the Amorites. Also notice how quickly... Our problems are God's fault. (laughs) We know the whole story. This is because of Achan's sin and Joshua forgot to pray. God may have told Joshua beforehand, if Joshua would have prayed, why don't you go search the tents before you go into battle? There's sin in the camp. There's things that need to be be dealt with. But Joshua's saying, nope, God, this is your fault. You brought us over here to destroy us. In verse 8, or continuing with verse 7, Oh, that we'd been content and dwelt on the other side of the Jordan. I wish we would have never come this way. The enemy, our flesh, and culture will all come to us in time of defeat and said, you know, this was a big mistake that you ever went this way. This whole fall in Christ thing, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. This call that God put on your life and you stepped out in that, Uh, You should have been content just to live a normal, nominal Christian life and never sought to make impact for eternity. And these words, they come out of Joshua's mouth as he's in this valley of doubt, saying we should have just stayed out there in the wilderness. In verse 8, O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and the inhabitants of the land will hear it, surround us, cut off our name from the earth, then what will you do for your great name? See how fear goes to doubt, then goes to despair? By the time Joshua is done with this prayer, Israel doesn't even exist anymore, you know? And what's actually happened? One guy has sinned, 36 guys have died. That is serious, but they still have a lot of people left, don't they? And that's what happens in our lives. The problem's about this big, and it's a real problem, We've experienced defeat because God's saying, slow down and look at this. And we're like, God doesn't even love me anymore. I'm just, I'm just fuel for him to burn me up. And yeah, and he hates my kids too. And just <laughs> you just go through the whole thing, right? And God records this stuff in scripture for us so that we can understand Joshua loves God. He's committed to God. If we were a fraction of the man that Joshua is, wow. But yet Joshua struggled. When he experienced defeat, he went through a real low here. He he enters into despair. It's all over in the perspective of his mind. Now here's God's counsel. Now be careful when you take on a counseling appointment with God because sometimes his instruction is very direct and he's not overly concerned with our feelings. So the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why do you lie thus?" On your face. In order to go from a place of defeat to victory, we've got to get up from the valley of self pity. We've got to get out and get up of the valley of self pity. Do you see it in Joshua? As he's pouring out his heart, he's feeling sorry for himself. He never expected defeat, he expected everywhere that he went there would be victory. This wasn't in the game plan. He's surprised. And so he's feeling bad and he's feeling sorry. And he's got his face in in the dirt. And God says, Get your face out of the dirt and start facing up to some issues. And I know that that's hard to hear. But if there's self inflicted hardship in our lives due to sin, it is good to put our face on the ground. And then as our face is on the ground before God, He's going to say, Get up and deal with the sin. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. Quit worrying about the consequences and have a heart that's repentant. And God describes for us in Scripture that there's godly sorrow leading to repentance, leading to change. But then there's a worldly sorrow that leads to condemnation. There's a lot of people that are really sorry for the things that they're doing, but they have no intention of ever changing. And it's this wallow of self-pity, this cyclone, this downward cycle Woe is me, woe is me, I feel so sorry for myself. And it moves to condemnation. And they're self-condemning themselves and not seeing the cross of Jesus Christ. And godly sorrow leads us to the cross of Jesus Christ where we understand his forgiveness, the spirit of God not leading us to condemnation, but forgiveness in Christ Jesus. To illustrate this is Peter and Judas. Both of them horrendous sin. Judas turned away from Christ in self-condemnation and hung himself. He got into that cyclone of self-pity. But Peter, when he saw the resurrected Savior there by the shore, what did he do? He jumped in and he swam. He ran to Jesus and he received forgiveness and he received restoration. It's hard. What God has to say here is not comfortable. But are we ready to just get up And deal with the sin in our lives. Deal with what's hidden in our hearts. Deal with what's hidden in our homes. Stop complaining because of the defeat that we're experiencing. Stop whining about this and whining about that and say, okay, I know. I know exactly what it is in my heart. I know the accursed thing. I know the trespass and I'm going to deal with it. And God now gives the prescription, the instruction of how to be able to deal with the sin. In verse 11, Israel has sinned. They've also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they've even taken some of the accursed things and have been stolen and deceived. And they've also put it among their own stuff. So God lists the offense. Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before the enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies because they become doomed to destruction. The defeat came because of the compromise, and it was the defeat of the whole nation of Israel. We like to think that our sin doesn't impact anybody else. And that's a cultural view, not a biblical view. Let me say that again. We like to think that our sin doesn't impact anybody else. That's a cultural view. It's not a biblical view. God says that we're the body of Christ. Whether you like it or not, we're connected together. I'm connected to you. You're connected to me. We're connected to Vanguard Church and Mountain Springs and New Life Church and the church in Uganda and the church in Chihuahua, Mexico. So when we dabble with and enter into the accursed things of God, it affects the whole body of Christ. When we walk in holiness and in reverence to the Lord, it affects the whole body of Christ. Could it be that the church isn't having the impact that God would intend inside of the United States of America because the church has entered into accursed things? That the church has decided that we want to try to play this game where we'll have the blessing of God while living in the sin of this world. We're just going to mix the two. So there's no difference. That's what Achan wanted. He was loving the victory, he was loving the fact that Israel was in the land. But I'll just take a little bit of the accursed stuff. It's just a little bit, I'll put it under my tent. Nobody's going to know. And so God says, I can't bless this, I can't move through this. I believe that God has us in this section of Scripture for a specific reason tonight. And I wholeheartedly believe that God has a plan for Rocky Mountain Calvary. We're not here just to take up space and resources until Christ comes home. But God wants to use our church in this community and throughout the world. But we'll never be able to stand the way the Lord intends unless we take this seriously. The church leadership, people serving in the church, everybody who calls this their church home. Our righteousness will encourage the body of Christ. Our trespasses will affect the whole body of Christ. Continuing in verse 12, Neither will I be with you anymore unless you destroy the accursed things from among you. God says, I'm not going unless the accursed things go. Is the presence of God lacking in our lives? Is the presence of God lacking in our church? Could it be because there's some accursed things that need to go? In verse 13, get up, sanctify the people. Say, sanctify yourself for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the accursed thing from among you. In the morning, therefore, you shall be brought according to your tribes, and it shall be that the tribe which the Lord takes shall come according to the families." And the family, which the Lord takes, shall come by households. And the household, which the Lord takes, shall come man by man. Then it shall be that he who has taken the accursed thing shall be burned with fire. He and all that he has, because he's transgressed the covenant of the Lord, and because he's done a disgraceful thing in Israel. Announcement. Hey, something to think about before you go to bed Uh, There's an accursed thing in the camp. Somebody took the spoils from Jericho that they weren't supposed to. So God is going to have us come before him tribe by tribe to discover where the compromise is. And then as we go tribe by tribe, we're going to go household by household. And the men representing their household are going to come before the Lord. It's the men who are responsible for the holiness inside of the home. Now I'm aching and I'm hearing this announcement and I'm thinking I'm about ready to be bacon because of what I've taken and I be faking and I'm running to Joshua's tent not wanting to go through this ordeal of public humiliation. Joshua did it and is there any grace for me? Let's go to my tent. This is what I've, I've been hiding. But that's not what Achan does. I mean, could you imagine to be in a situation like this where God's like, I know. I know what, what's going on. There's nothing hidden. And so we're going to start over here. And we're going to have this section come before the Lord. And then these two rows come before the Lord. And throughout the whole sanctuary just to, to bring out the compromise and the sin. And God's passionate about the purity of his church. We're his bride. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives. Over and over and over again, there will be nothing hidden before God. Jesus said it. He told us. If you think something's hidden, it's going to be brought out into the light. So much better for us to walk in brokenness and transparency. Are you open before God? Have you confessed everything to the Lord? Does your spouse know everything about you? All the struggles, the things that are going through your heart and your mind. If you're single, do you have good friends in your life? Men ministering to men and women to women where you've opened up your heart. See, Satan gets a great victory when we're in Akin's place where we're living with this deep, dark secret. And we open it up before God and we open it up before others and we're not living in this place of hiding and this place... Of shame. God's passionate about this. In verse 16, so Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel by their tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. So, phew, all the 11 other tribes go, glad it wasn't my son, you know, that took some of the accursed things, but Judah. So now you've got this whole tribe, and they're standing before the Lord. He brought the clan of Judah. And he took the family of the Zerahites and he brought the family of the Zerahites man by man and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household man by man and Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah was taken. Oh man, it's brought down to one man at this point and still Achan isn't confessing. He's only going to confess when he's busted. That's the only time he's going to confess. Much better to confess long before you're busted. Listen to the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. Take heed this message from God's word and get right with the Lord and get right with others and expose yourself before God exposes you. In verse 19, And Joshua said to Achan, My son, I beg you, Give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me what you have done. Do not hide it from me. How did this happen? I mean, how did the other tribes get eliminated? And then inside of the tribe of Judah, that all of the other families got eliminated? Was there just this bright light on Achan? You know? We don't know. But God's speaking to Joshua's heart. Joshua knows. And Joshua speaks right to Achan. He's saying, you know what? Give glory to God and confess your sin. And God is glorified when we confess our sin. A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. So here's Achan's answer in verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels. I coveted them and took them and there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with silver under it. What did he call what he took? Spoils. He called them spoils. What did God call them? Accursed things that belonged to the Lord. He took from God. But he called it spoils. Anytime that we trespass, we're taking from God. Adultery is taking from God. That person that you entered into sexual sin with belonged to God. We took from them. When we gossip and we're malicious with our words, we're taking something that belonged to God. God built up a godly reputation in that person. And we took that away because we were hurt or there was a personality conflict or a difficulty. That's what happens when we sin. And when we sin, a lot of times we don't define it the way that God defines it. We said, I had an affair. No, I committed adultery, trespass against God. I murdered somebody with my words. That's not usually how we would describe our sin before the Lord. In verse 22, so Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. I'd like to get into Achan's mind a little bit. I mean why what was he gonna do with this garment and this gold and silver? It's like he waits like six months and then he gets out the Babylonian garment? It's like (laughs) How you guys doing? What's up? (laughs) Where'd you get that garment? We don't have garments like that. We didn't make garments like that in the wilderness. Where'd you get all that gold? Where'd you get all that silver? There is no place for him to even use the things that he's stolen. The only place for what he's taken is to hide it under his tent. Many pastors have said it, and it's absolutely true. Sin makes you what? Stupid. Just plain old stupid. And Achan here risks everything for some things that he can't use. And what got him? His eyes. When he saw the spoil, he coveted it. And the eyes really can be the portal of Satan, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And the ears are the portal of the spirit, right? Jesus always said, him that has ears to hear, let him hear. It's a real discipline to say, I'm not gonna go off of what my eyes see, but what I hear from the word of God. And it was his eyes and the lust of his eyes that got him into this place of stupidity. In verse 23, and they took them from the midst of the tent brought them to Joshua and to the children of Israel and laid them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all of Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that they had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Achor literally means trouble, the valley of trouble. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all of Israel stoned him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they'd stoned them with stones. Now this seems very harsh, doesn't it? That not only Achan would be stoned, but his children would be stoned. Everything that he has would be burned up. And God's making a statement here that sin is never a private and isolated act. And you may think that you looking at pornography over and over and over again isn't hurting anyone. And it's this private and isolated act. No, it's hurting the heart of God. It's destroying your soul. It's destroying your family. And it's paralyzing the church of God. And that can be true of any trespass that we list. It affects others. And before we jump up and yell, foul, this is unfair, the judgment that God bring, remember that there were 36 men who died. Also, remember the location of these spoils. They're under the tent. Most likely the whole family knew and participated in this deception and in this compromise. May we all hear this tonight. If you love your family don't sin against God. If you love your family, don't transgress against God. If you love the church of God and you're concerned about the reputation of the church of the body of Christ in a lost and dying world, then don't trespass because we're linked to one another. It's impacting others in a way that we can't even comprehend. I think God is making this statement very strong here so that we would remember it you'll probably remember this Bible study. I remember the first time I heard this chapter taught, you know, as a high schooler, I remember this chapter and it stuck in my heart and my mind that my sin impacts others, that it wasn't just Achan who died, but also his family, also these innocent men. Sin is never a private and isolated act. And so we end this chapter in verse 26, then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of the place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day, the Valley of Trouble. So this valley gets his name because of this troubling experience. This isn't the last time that we hear of the Valley of Achor. And write this down, because this is mind-blowing to me. In Hosea 2, verse 15, God says this, I will give her vineyards from there, and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. God says, in this valley of trouble, I'm going to give her a door of hope. Now, who is the door? Jesus. And Jesus brings us hope. And church, I want to suggest to you tonight that we would all be under the same judgment of Achan, if it wasn't for the door, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for the wrath of God to be appeased on my behalf. We don't think of it this way, but my sin, my trespass, makes God hot with anger. It disgusts Him. And in order for Him to have a relationship with me, in order for me to be accepted and be the Son of God and go to heaven and be in the presence of His holiness, Jesus had to die. And when Jesus died, then the judgment of God passed over us. In church, that should cause us to want to live in holiness more than anything else. To know that we deserve God's judgment, but yet we receive the blood of his son instead, then we don't understand grace if we come to the hill of Calvary and we walk away and we just say, well, I'm going to continue in my trespass. I'm I'm just going to continue living my life the the way that it was. So where do we go from here? Two things very specifically. If you search your heart and your life tonight and you go, you know what, There's, there's not trespass. I can honestly say there's not something that is hidden under my tent. There's no surprises for my spouse. There's no surprises for my kids, my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's out in the open. Then may this chapter put the fear of God inside of us. Because it was one moment. Achan was in that place. And then he saw a handful of things that were accursed. And he went for it. And everything went downhill. It only takes one moment. And made this implant in the hearts of those who are walking with the Lord. A fear and a respect of God. And then for those of you as the children of God. Where you know in your heart. That you do have those accursed things in your life. And you say, well, what does that mean for me? Look to the hill of Calvary and look where Jesus died. And he died for you, for that trespass, for our sin. And will you tonight keep short accounts with God? And will you get out of the valley of self-pity? Will you stop blaming God, stop blaming others, and deal with the sin? And you go home tonight And you get rid of those accursed things. You know the alcohol is leading to drunkenness. And it's destroying your life and it's destroying others. You go home tonight and you get rid of it. You know the pornography. It's destroying your soul. And you go through these seasons in and out, in and out. Two months with no pornography and then back into it, in and out, in and out. And you blame it on all these different things in your life. Men and women. We know that that women are not immune to this. It's been classified as a male struggle, not in our culture. It's men and women. It's an accursed thing. Homosexuality. And you'll notice I'm not picking on homosexuality, it's a sin just like any other sin. But if you're in that place and you're trying to say, I want the blessings of God, but I'm going to live in a homosexual lifestyle, God loves you. I love you. And that's not God's order. And you're walking outside of God's order and you need to cut off that relationship and you need to get up and you need to run to the hill of Calvary. And when you're tempted, choose to walk in God's ways. Heterosexual sin. You're not married, but you're living with your boyfriend or girlfriend and you come here to church week after week and you raise your hands in worship. And you want the blessing of God, but nothing seems to be working. I got to tell you, it's not going to work, and it's the same as homosexuality. It's out of God's order. If you're having sex outside of marriage, it is out of God's order, and you're hurting God's heart, and you're destroying this church, and you've got a decision to make. Get right with God or find another church, and I absolutely mean it because I'm not loving you as a pastor, if I can continue to say, just keep living together, keep having sex together, and then come here and pretend like it's all good with God. It's not all good with God. And I don't want you to leave, but I don't want you to just continue in this place that you are, and you know that it's not working. And you tonight need to break off that relationship in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. And you need to trust everything that God says that he is in his word, that he's going to provide for you. Some of you are molesting children and you're abusing kids and you have the audacity to come in here week after week and pretend that everything is okay with God. And some of you are shocked, but we know that many people inside of of the Church of God historically have messed with God's children. You are in a very dark place. And judgment is on your head. And God knows and he's going to find out And he's going to expose you. And we pray that he does. So repent before he does. And get right with God. And do something that's bold. Turn yourself into the authorities. And admit what you've done. And find true repentance and forgiveness. And transformation. But the issues have to be dealt with. God says, I'm not going to go into one more battle with Israel if this is not dealt with. And we're talking about garments and silver, and gold. What would Jesus say to the church today? What would he say? When we come in and we say, you know what? I'm just going to continue with the games as usual, but walk in full rebellion to the Lord. And please hear this in the right tone, a loving father that wants life abundant for you. You'll never know how wonderful intimacy is until you do it God's way. A man and a woman inside of the commitment of marriage. God will bless it. You'll never know what intimacy is intended to be until you cut pornography out of your life. You're never going to have the eyes for your spouse as long as pornography is in your life. If you're single and you're in pornography and you desire to be married someday, you're not going to have the appropriate attraction to your spouse if your mind is filled with that garbage. Worship is going to continue to be mundane and boring and you're not going to feel the presence of God if your God is alcohol and you're drunk two or three times a week and raging in anger. You're not going to experience the joy and the love and the freedom that God has if you're saying, hey, pot's legal, so I'm just going to enter into it. It's it's in the garden, bro. It's awesome. You know? (laughs) God created a lot of things that he didn't intend to be smoked. Are you following with me? And just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. It's legal to get drunk. You're not going to go to jail for being drunk unless you're drinking and driving or you do something illegal. We've got to get back to God's standards. He wants you to be filled with the Spirit, not controlled with the substance of pot or anything else. And guess what? He has the power to set you free. He really does. And David was a man who jumped into accursed things. He committed murder. He was in adultery. He didn't confess. God busted him. But when he was busted, he had a broken and a contrite heart before God. And he writes to us that a broken and contrite heart, God will not despise. And tonight, if we'll get to that place, of allowing our heart to be broken before the Lord, He's going to forgive you. He's going to restore you. But the thing's got to be dealt with. The accursed thing's got to be destroyed. The accursed thing's got to go. And that's the step of faith. Run to God and run to other believers at least two. Say, this is where I'm at. I need you to pray with me. I need you to walk with me as I go through this. So let's pray together.